2018 FIFA World Cup, ladies and gentlemen, will be organized in Russia. <laughs> Quirky neighbour was enjoying a period of relative calm in the international community, and so were deservedly named holders of the World Cup in 2018. The enthusiastic Mixupadra had a crop of young players and an intriguing new fern-based system that seemed to allow free-flowing attacking football in the national side. What could possibly go wrong? found guilty of state-sponsored doping in 2016, resulting in 119 athletes banned from the Olympic Games. When the draw for qualification was made, Finland had dropped to a lowly 90th in the FIFA World Rankings, placing us in pot five behind Croatia, Turkey, Ukraine and Iceland, with Kosovo being added to the mix when they were finally approved the membership in June 2016. Under the stewardship of Hans Bracker, yet to win his eight months in charge, the Hulkert have a daunting task ahead. While an ultra-defensive approach and a shot-shy attack may leave most fans fearful, the Finnish football show has stood together to offer hope against this better gentleman, with a team-by-team guide to World Cup qualification by starting with Croatia. Hi, this is Rich Nelson from EscapeToSuomi.com. As part of the upcoming qualifiers for the 2018 World Cup, the Finnish football show will be talking about Finland's opponents in Group I, and I'll be talking about Croatia. Declared independence in 1991, Croatia's rise to prominence in European football was swift. Joining UEFA and FIFA in 1993 and playing their first competitive matches, the Euro 96, where they made it through to the finals. 
Their defeat in the quarterfinals overshadowed a previously good tournament, including Devil Super chipping Peter Schmeichel at Hillsborough. The World Cup in 1998, their first, they made it through to the semi-finals, losing to the hosts and eventual winners France. In the third place playoff, they defeated the Netherlands, coming away with the bronze medal and Super being the top scorer for the tournament. Since becoming eligible to compete in the tournaments, Croatia have only failed to qualify for one World Cup, South Africa 2010, and the European Championships of 2000. Part of the core of the side that reached the semis in 1998, Robert Yarny, Stimac, Boban, Bozanecki and Suka, were part of the Yugoslavian side that won the World Under-20 Championships in 1987. Like many teams in history, the Yugoslavia side failed to live up to its promise, war unfortunately tearing it apart. With a population of 4.1 million, still smaller than Finland, Croatia have managed to be very competitive in European football, reaching so many of those tournaments in between. At the European Championships in the summer, Croatia were one of the early tournament favourites after defeating Spain in the group stage, but lost to eventual winners Portugal after an extra time winner from Ricardo Caresma. The squad featuring players such as Ivan Rakitic and Luka Modric unfortunately failed to defeat the Portuguese and went out early in the round of 16. Even with key teammates such as Ivan Perisic, Dario Serna and Mario Mandzukic, the Croatia team looked very good on paper but lost after a very, very tedious round of 16 match on a Saturday night. It was uh, one for the purists only, I'm afraid. However, one of the key moments of 2016 was their fans throwing flares onto the pitch during the game against the Czech Republic in Saint-Étienne. One of the reasons was that the fans, akin to what's happening in Finland at the moment, on a larger level anyway, have lost faith in the Croatian Football Federation, accusing it of widespread corruption. The Federation's Vice President has been charged with embezzling money from his time as the Chief Executive at Dynamo Zagreb. Babel Super is now the President of the Federation, although he's seen by many as a puppet and turning it into a tool purely for making money. Some radical fans are so captivated by the hatred towards the Federation they don't even mind hurting the team with their actions. In fact, it goes further than that. They're now actively trying to sabotage the team as they feel that international shame and on-pitch failure is the only chance for changes to finally take place in Croatian football. It's likely that was the same thinking behind the incident at Splits Stadium in 2015 where someone painted a swastika on the pitch before the qualifier against Italy, a game that had already been played behind closed doors because of previous crowd trouble. Croatia qualified for the 2014 World Cup by defeating fellow Group I opponents Iceland in the playoffs. At the tournament, they were drawn with host nation Brazil, Mexico and Cameroon. They lost a very nervous first match of the tournament against Brazil, several uh, controversial decisions from the referee, providing a 3-1 win to the Brazilians. Despite defeating Cameroon 4-0 in Game 2, they went out as, at the group stage after a 3-1 defeat to Mexico in their final fixture. Croatia's squad had players representing some of the finest clubs in European football, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Fiorentina, Juventus, Napoli and Atletico Madrid to name a few. Some of them, such as Dejan Lovren of Liverpool, household names, but uh, whether they feature in the main team, we're not quite sure. Vedran Korluka is a veteran of English football, having played for Portsmouth and Tottenham, still knocking around, while Mandzukic is currently propping up at Juventus. Looking at the lineup for Group I, 
It's difficult to see Croatia finishing outside of the top two. Iceland unpredictable, Ukraine seemingly a negative side after their poor performance in 2016, Turkey very unpredictable, and then it's Finland and Kosovo. I'd certainly be confident in saying that Croatia will be in the top two, but having never played Finland before, it'll certainly be an education. Their fans like to make a noise and plenty of smoke, and perhaps they'll be Finland's secret 12th man, preventing Croatia from progress. Hi there, I'm Henry Huckamaki, a Finnish-American university student and part-time football columnist. I've written several articles in regards to Finnish football for websites such as Escape the Sumi and The Football Experience, and I've also taken part in the Finnish football show before, both reading one of my articles for Finnish Football Shorts Episode 1 and taking part in Finnish Football Show Episode 6, where I was filling in for another member. I've also written for the Confederation of Independent Footballing Associations, authoring part of their media kit for their 2016 World Cup in Abkhazia. You can find me at Huck1995 on Twitter. I'm always looking forward to new suggestions about what I should write upcoming articles about, particularly in regards to Finnish football. So feel free to give me a follow and let me know what you would like to see, and I'll see if I can write an article about it. Today I'm going to be talking with you about the Ukrainian national football team. Ukraine has had a national team since 1992. Ukraine's produced several international players before that, but they played for the joint Soviet Union national team. However, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991 and Ukrainian independence, they formed their own national team. Early results for their national team were very poor, as about half of the players that they had intended on calling up for their national team decided to instead represent Russia. Their domestic league also struggled at this time, as they had only had a couple of teams established within Ukraine, so they basically had to start their league from the ground up, so talent flow was coming through really slowly from their domestic league. However, over time, they started to produce uh, some high-quality players, such as Anatoly Tomushuk, Sergei Rebrov, and especially Andrei Shevchenko, who's sort of a folk hero in Ukraine. He's the all-time leading goal scorer for the Ukraine national football team, and on July 15th was named as the new manager for their national football team. So when players like this started to come through, their results began to turn around, and that culminated in the 2006 FIFA World Cup. It was their first major tournament that they qualified for, and they made it all the way to the quarterfinals, where they were beaten eventually uh, by eventual champions Italy. They also made it to Euro 2012, where they qualified automatically as host, but were eliminated in the group stage. More recently, they took third in qualifying group for Euro 2016 and won their playoff series, which progressed them to the actual Euro 2016 tournament. In preparation of that, they played three friendly games against Wales, Romania, and Albania, and they won all three of those games. So they came into Euro 2016 with a bit of momentum. They had just won their playoff series, and they won three games against teams that were going to be in the Euros. However, when it came time to play in the actual tournament, uh, they had lost all three of their games. They lost 2-0 to Germany, 2-0 to Northern Ireland, and 1-0 to Poland. 
They were the only team in the Euros to not at least get a draw in one of their games. Against Germany, uh, they looked pretty flat throughout. And obviously Germany's a good team. After all, they are defending World Cup champions. But uh, Ukraine really couldn't muster much in terms of attacks. They never got a shot off from uh, inside the about 12-yard area. And about 90% of their shots came from outside the 18. Against Northern Ireland, they were expecting a better result, but instead, again, lost 2-0. And then by the time it came to Poland, chances of them advancing were very, very slim. Uh, and those went to zero when they lost 1-0 to Poland. Ukraine, for the entire tournament, was lining up in a 4-2-3-1. The standout player of their tournament was their goalkeeper, uh, actually, who is uh, Andrei Pietov, who plays for Ukrainian giant Shakhtar Donetsk and has had some fantastic performances in the Europa League on the club level as well as uh, for the national team. Their other two big players who underperformed massively in the Euros but are the players that they are relying on for their offensive attack are Yevon Konoplyanka, who plays for Sevilla in Spain, and Andrei Yarmolenko, who plays for the other Ukrainian giants, Dinamo Kiev. These players are both very quick. They're very good goal scorers. They're good at driving into the defense and creating havoc. In Euro 2016, however, uh, they, they fell pretty flat. They didn't produce a whole lot of magic, uh, and... Not only that, they, they just looked relatively flat throughout the tournament, and when those two are flat, they're not going to be scoring goals, and they didn't score a goal in the tournament. In terms of striker, they have uh, two that they like to switch between. They have Zuzulia and Kovalenko. They really haven't had a preference for either one. Neither of them scores a whole lot of goals. They use them more as... Um, to hold up play and allow the wingers to come rushing in behind that. So they just kind of flip between that. It depends on how the matchup is working, but neither of them is really a threat in terms of scoring. So what can we expect for the upcoming World Cup qualification cycle? Even though they have a new manager, it's, more, it's likely to still be a 4-2-3-1 formation that just seems to suit the personnel that they have despite the fact that they played poorly in the Euros. That's just what they've got. They don't have any strikers that really are going to be big goal scorers. Uh, their biggest threats come from the wings. Their defense actually has played halfway decent, despite the fact that they get surrendered five goals in three games in the Euros. Um, those were more uh, of just being overmatched in the midfield, for the most part. Uh, but we can expect... Ukraine to have their attacks come in from the wings. That's how just how things work. They drive up the wings and then they drive inside and those wingers look to either drop off the ball to somebody rushing in or just drive all the way to the goal. So likely what Finland is to do is to pack their defensive area and look to counter throughout the games. Finland has a chance against Ukraine and actually a pretty good chance if they can work the counter very well. If Finland can work the counter they have a very good chance against Ukraine because Ukraine throws people forward into the attack because the wingers are having to produce most of the offense for them. And so the people are just collapsing on the box so they can get a drop-off. If Finland can absorb the pressure from the wings 
and then find outlets and make their way on the counter, that's how Finland is going to score. However, if Finland can't score on the counter against Ukraine, things don't really look good. Ukraine has a relatively well-organized defense when they're not getting caught out on the counter. And Finland just has struggled uh, scoring in about the last year. So it's it's a toss-up of how it's going to go. It's all going to come down to basically how well Finland can absorb pressure from the wings and then counter. So how do I think Ukraine is going to do in uh, Finland's qualification group? I would say that Ukraine is pretty much a lock for third or fourth. I think that Croatia is likely to take first in the qualification group. And most likely, I would think Turkey would take second. Turkey had a really rough start to the Euro tournament, but came around, and Turkey has some pretty good players. Now, I say third or fourth because Ukraine normally would be a lock for third after that. But the way Iceland played in the Euros, if they can recapture some of that magic from their Euro qualification cycle and the Euro tournament, they could uh, shock some people and move up to second. Otherwise, they'll most likely uh, be able to attain third if they're able to get past Ukraine once or twice. So likely for Ukraine, they'll be in third or fourth and miss out on qualification for the World Cup. Um, but they'll still most likely finish ahead of Finland unless Finland can really pull uh, their offense together. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, Hope that that was a useful rundown on Ukraine for you. If you have any questions, again, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Huck1995. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Mark Wiltshire. So when Mark suggested that we do these uh, summaries of some of Finland's opposition, I decided to go for Kosovo. But because I'm a bit lazy, I decided I'd see if I could find someone to help me with this. And I think I found the perfect person. So today I'm joined by Mehmet Hetemai from ASICOR, uh, also played this year for Finland, uh, but originally comes from Kosovo. So who better to help me out? Mehmet, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, thank you. So I guess the history of Kosovo as a country is very complicated. Um, having read having read up on it, but, but people probably most recently realised that it was part of the former Yugoslavia, slowly becoming its own country once again. Yeah, the history is quite weird in a way to a person who doesn't really know the history because it's a huge, many years history and there has happened many, many things in that during of time, so... First of all, Kosovo was one of part of uh, Albania, and it used to call Dardania, Dard- Dardania, and uh, it was uh, Kosovo and Albania all together. But then, when the ex-Yugoslavia came, uh, they put it in the part like Albania was the one part, and, and Kosovo was with uh, ex-Yugoslavia. So yes, uh, we used to be in uh, Yugoslavia, but then uh, many countries of ex-Yugoslavia they wanted to leave because it wasn't like uh, how they wanted to live and they want, wanted to have own own country like Croatia, Slovenia, Bosnia and the latest is uh, uh, Kosovo. But now uh, finally we have our own country. It's a, it's a poor country and uh, there is many things to develop. So to look in the politic way and uh, also in football way. So 
I'm looking forward because uh, we have many our, ab our ab abilities quite huge in my opinion because we have so many people outside the country and they are doing some of them are doing very well so they could invest or bring their they knowledge back to their home home country so so people in general outside of football yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. also in football like Albania is a good ex 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 example of this because uh, in the 90, 90 also we had a dictator it was in, under communism and, uh, and we they couldn't uh, see outside TV like only TV came from inside so they ha didn't know what's really in outside they didn't have let's say pasta it has come uh, in 20 years now they know what is pasta and the food has changed a little bit after the knowledge and after people traveling out, people traveling in. So this is why I mean it's, it's a new country, even Albania has been so many years independent but now you could say really like 20 years it's into the Europe because before it was outside of everything then the, the, the president or the dictator was quite weird guy, he built so many like this inside houses where he, he was he think, thinking that the other countries from Europe are going to hit Albania so he built these houses that people can go and uh, like, like yeah. okay. and if you go to Albania there is like 100,000 170,000 this kind of so in every corner you have <laughs> it's quite crazy what do you remember about living in Kosovo as a kid? I remember some, some are like flashes, but not so much because I was four years when we left. And your brother was only Yeah, but I remember like uh, we had, in the beginning we were like, uh, because my mother and father, they were lawyers, so our standards were quite big and we had the only TV in our house. Okay. So people, the other kids were always TV in your street in the in the, in the apartment. Ah, yeah, okay. So the people were like coming, the chil children. We had every Saturday we had this Pepe long pitkatos. I don't know how it's in England. <laughs> Pepe long stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So everyone was coming to our place to watch it, and it was like so crazy. And then when my, my father came from the work, he he bought ice cream for every child we, we played, and then we had. We had some uh, like three dogs that we we feed. So and then we didn't play at that much football, but we were more like uh, hanging around and with the dogs. Like we were so crazy, and uh, me and my brother were so sad when we heard that these Serbians' uh, soldiers they they shot our dog. But we we like and it was very very sad because we it was like our own and. Uh, but I remember also like um, from the from the state that when it, everything changed suddenly because more and more Serbian people uh, policies came to the Kosovo and they bring also army and uh, tanks and we couldn't. I remember that our family parents say that we can't go out anymore after four four o'clock in the day because it was dangerous and. The, Seeing from outside, from balcony, I, I saw the tanks, and this I, I, I can remember. And wow. even even the family, our parents, of course, they tried to say that there's no problems. But we children, we felt that because our 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 parents, like they they suddenly they spoke 
like quiet and uh, in other room and we were like thinking that something is going to happen so of course children they can uh, me and my older older sister sisters and my older brother of course they felt it even more because they they were a little bit older Wow, and that's, so that's when you moved here, yeah. to Finland, at the age of at the age of four. Yeah. And what I didn't realise before I um, what I didn't realise before I arranged to meet you is that as well as having played for Finland, and you played earlier this year in the in one of the desert games, one of the friendlies out in the desert, um, that, that you actually played for Kosovo some years ago. The, the, the country itself is becoming more independent and getting more international recognition and so is the football team. Um, how did that come about that you, you played in that, that one game? Uh, was it two or three years ago? Yeah, it was uh, uh, two years ago. Okay. Or, yeah, two years, around two years ago. Like, yeah. was, uh, this coach, he was uh, calling me for, uh, let's say, quite many, many times and uh, always I was like a little bit thinking and then he said I, was, I wasn't in a Finnish national team in that period so I say why not it's not like I am uh, turning my back to any, any uh, to Finnish national team so I guess it wasn't fully recognized then. no 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 it was, like, it was it was like friendly game in the end it, it doesn't it didn't count like a national team game so uh, yeah he called me and he said we have a tur- against Turkey and uh, the game before was against the first game ever with Kosovo against this uh, body and, uh, and that the, uh, the atmosphere and the organization were so good. I watched the game from uh, my PC and it was really incredible atmosphere. It was raining like like storm, but still it was full. One hour and thirty minutes before the game, it was full. The people didn't matter of uh, the storm of the water. So I decided to go, and the game was against Turkey. Uh, uh, the game didn't win well because we lost six-one, but okay. uh, but still to pull on that si- Yeah, it was incredible. And uh, remember the traveling to we were we were staying in the capital. It's Pristina. The game was in Mitrovica. It's around uh, one hour with the bus. So by two cars, more than two and a half hours because. We get quite. We got quite uh, well to the close to the stadium, but when we when we got to the stadium, it was full of people, and they didn't want to let us. They just want to cheer, and we get into the football field to warm up. Uh, or before that warm up, we went in just to watch the field, and it was full already. One hour and thirty minutes before, and everyone uh, was so happy. Was they was I, I could see that the kids they all. It meant so much for them because, uh, like I told you, the history of Albania, especially because Kosovo and Albania is, is the same country. Even if you split them, we speak same language, we have same culture, we have, we are actually we are a country to look for because we have uh, all the relig- religions in one country and we go well together. It's not. Because Kosovans, they first they have the country, then religion. So I think people generally think of all of the countries from that region being very patriotic. We always see the Croatia, particularly as the example of very passionate fans. But it seems like it's the same there in Kosovo. Yeah, well. of course, it's very, very. Uh, we are nationalist people, and uh, 
we love love our country and uh, it's like like uh, one player he got he got broke his le- hands after 20 minutes and he played all the full game <laughs> that's what i mean yeah. he didn't feel he was so adrenaline and uh, so this is what to, it means to these players to play with Kosovo, so to people, to everyone. That's why uh, I'm telling you, it, it, may, may, it might be now that the team is uh, it's not at its best, but in the future I think it's going to be, not saying to win any every league, uh, 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 championship of uh, Europe, but at least uh, fighting really for, for that. So the fans are excited about this first World Cup qualifying campaign that's coming up. Yes, really, really, really excited. Uh, every day there is people uh, posting and uh, Facebook things, rumors who is coming to play because yeah. you know that we have uh, so many play- good players playing for uh, another uh, national teams like. Tell, tell us some of the, about some of those players. Who, who is eligible to play? Well, uh, we have uh, from uh, German national team. We have uh, Mustafi, who plays in Valencia. But now I saw that uh, Arsenal is making an offer. Then we have uh, this an- another Arsenal player, Chaka. He's just going to. He's Arsenal. going to Arsenal. Yeah. yeah, but we have in Switzerland. We have six of the first eleven were Kosovo. We have Chaka. Behrami, who plays for uh, Watford, he has played in uh, very good good teams and has good career. Then we have uh, Jamaili, who plays also from uh, Swiss, uh, Switzerland, and he plays in uh, Genoa last year. He has played in Napoli also. And then we have uh, uh, Sachiri, who plays for Stoke City. Uh, Mehmeti, who plays for Bayern Leverkusen. Uh, then we have in the Albanian national team, we have. Uh, more than uh, three of, more than a half of the players are from Kosovo, an Albanian national team. So you can just wonder if they, then Janusa is from, he has played from Belgium and he plays from Man United. So That's quite, it sounds like quite an exciting <laughs> team if you can yeah. get everybody to. And Berisha, the goalkeeper, plays for Lazio. Okay, he's the second goalkeeper, but still he played last year more than 20 games. So. So actually, is the team mostly made up of, of home, home no, 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 no. They, they we don't have it. We don't have at, at least there is no one playing from Kosovo okay. in Kosovo league that is going to play against Finland. Anyway, if the best are coming or not, because we have a lot of players who play in Switzerland. They're not national team players. No, they're playing overseas. One of them has played in the early days, but now he's he's quite old, but he's still scoring. He's called in the last game. Then we have this young player from Man City. He trains with the first team. He has some uh, league, league, league Cup games with Man City, but he's young and uh, what I have heard, he's very talented. And City is looking forward. They saw they lo- on, they put him on loan to uh, Holland first league. So I'm looking for the forward. But he's he's good and young strikers. That's what we need and. Uh, my good, my good goal, uh, friend is uh, captain. He's a go- uh, goalkeeper of national team. Uh, he's my actually my sister's sister husband uh, cousin. Okay, okay. <laughs> so we know him very well, and uh, he's a very good guy. So he has he has lived also in Belgium, but uh, he, he, he used to play with Albania, but he decided to go with Kosovo. 
And I guess the question that everybody listening expects me to ask is what about the Hethamai brothers? Well, what are your, what are, what are your thoughts and, and how, how do these other players you mentioned, how are they feeling about the idea of playing for Kosovo? Until now, there's this, there hasn't been a final permission from FIFA and UEFA that can, can the players play who has played certain of games with the other national team. And this is the question what everyone is asking and everyone is waiting that FIFA or UEFA is giving their last answer because so there's still not a final decision. Yeah, and this is quite uh, like weird because the first game is going to be in uh, one and a half months. So we are all waiting that, but like I said, my brother actually, he can't, he, he can't decide yet. I have different situation because I, I, I could play and... Uh, yeah, because he's, he's playing regularly for the... Yeah, he has, he has, I think the limits are it's around 10 games. Okay. So he has more, I have less. And, uh, and, uh, like I said, like for me, Finland doesn't call me, Kosovo calls me. I'm lucky to have two like so like country that I love so, uh, so I have two open minded you're open minded yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. put it as open minded yeah. um, one, one more question because I've, you've let me interrupt your mm. coffee afternoon with your family no, and I appreciate no, no. that um, what, how do you think Kosovo will do in this group there's a group of uh, seven teams is it now Yes, 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 yes. It's, uh, there is Croatia, uh, Turkey, Iceland, uh, Ukraine, I think so, and Kosovo and uh, Finland. Yeah. Well, like now, it's just uh, if they play with the team, what they played last game against Faroe Island, and they won the game two zero two nil, and still they played uh, seventy minutes with one less. Actually, this guy got red card. This young city guy. But uh, if they play with that team, it's going to be, especially in home ground, it's going to be difficult for any any of these teams because they have, um, like I told you, the the blood is like good example. This guy played with a broken arm. He played the full game. Just I don't think in any other countries any player would risk or play. That's. That's much how it means. So it's going to be very difficult for Finland, especially the first game is in Turku. We have a lot of Kosovo people coming to watch the game, and they're going to cheer up, and uh, the players are going to feel like they play home ground because, like you know, Kosovo they it doesn't have to be ultra. They scream any anyway, so the noise is going to be big, and I think it's going to support. It's going to be bigger than the Finnish people are going to make for Finland. So. They're gonna feel like playing home ground, but, but if we get if we go, get all the best players, then I, I I see Kosovo as the best team of the group with the best best players. But with these players, it's difficult to pass the group stage. But they can uh, still you're 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 optimistic, and they're gonna make they're gonna make a real fight of it. Yeah, this is for sure. Uh, Kosovo players, Albanian players, they have the fighting spirit. Especially the Balkan players, they never quit. Quit. Uh, they might be technical or not, but still they fight. And uh, with that fight, they they uh, support, uh, like achieve many limits. Limits like that's the character of our people. We uh, there is we are like 
not all of them, all of us, but uh, normally we are fighters because we have we are used to fight for everything in our our history. That's great, Mehmet. Thank you very much for thank joining you. me. I appreciate no, it. No, no problem. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to Kekke Mulleri from the Finnish Football Show. Following episode 6, we decided to review Finland's opponents for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. Each of us chose a team from Group I, and I went for Iceland. Islandi. Island. How was I supposed to know that after Euro 2016, they were going to become everyone's second favourite team? As Gary Lineker and co. told us again and again, Iceland have a population of just over 330,000, and they were traditionally considered as a minnow of world football. Iceland's first match, officially recognised by FIFA, took place in Reykjavik on 27th of July 1946. Iceland lost 3-0 to Denmark. Over the years, losing would become a bit of a habit for Iceland, although they didn't have to wait very long for their first international victory. That came in 1947 against, yep, you've guessed it, Finland. Their qualification for this summer's Euros didn't come out of nowhere, as Iceland as a nation decided around the turn of the millennium that qualification for a major tournament could and would be achieved. They have shown that with the structure and the correct investment, the seemingly impossible is possible. Iceland's relationship with football in the last 15 years has been an institutional obsession, seeded all the way from the top down, through the government, the KSI, schools and individuals. In the campaign for a spot at Euro 2004, Iceland had their best ever performance in a qualifying tournament, finishing third, one point behind Scotland. Just two more points and they would have made a playoff spot. By contrast, Finland finished fourth in Group 9, seven points behind winners Italy. Iceland were getting better and better and in qualifying for the 2014 World Cup, Iceland reached the playoffs before losing out to Croatia. As we all know, Iceland reached the holy grail of their first major tournament this summer, qualifying for Euro 2016, after a campaign which included home and away wins over the giant Netherlands. They went on to finish second in Group A, securing their qualification. The investment and structured system had paid off. This achievement gave Iceland the title of the smallest ever nation to qualify for a major tournament. After advancing to the knockout stages of Euro 2016, Iceland defeated England in the round of 16, advancing to the quarter-finals, where they were finally beaten by France in a 5-2 thriller. Hukiat's record against Iceland isn't actually too bad. From the 11 meetings, Finland have emerged victorious on six occasions, with two draws and Iceland claiming three wins. One of those came as recently as January this year, 
when Arnaud Ingvi Trautersson scored in the 16th minute of a friendly in Abu Dhabi. This was the first meeting since April 2003 when Finland had emerged 3-0 winners. Iceland are sure to be confident going into this campaign and will believe that they can secure a playoff spot at least. Everyone at Euro 2016 was well aware of Aaron Gunnarsson's long throw-ins but still seemed powerless to stop them. Hopefully the Hukiat defence can combat this aerial threat and with skillful Iceland players like Gylfi Sigurdsson and Björko Bjarnason, Finland must also be careful not to be caught on the break. It remains to be seen which way the meeting in Reykjavik on October the 6th will go, but I'll be there for this Nordic derby, hoping for a Vinland victory. The return leg will be played in September 2017, and by that time we could have an idea if we'll be heading to Russia the following summer. Thanks for listening. I'm Tekke Mulleri, and I hope you enjoyed this short preview. Big thanks also to Mark, Mark, Henry and Rich. Turkey. Currently 19th in the FIFA World Rankings, Turkey enter World Cup qualification after a disappointing group stage exit at Euro 2016 in France. Undone by a classy Luka Modric finish in a 1-0 defeat to Croatia, and Spanish masterclass that saw the Turks smashed 3-0, they were already unable to progress when they surprisingly beat the Czech Republic 2-0 before packing their bags and heading home. That win, however, was in large part due to an offside goal and the Czechs overcommitted attack as they chased a point that would have seen them progress from Group D. To get to Euro 2016, the I Yildiz Lilar, or Crescent Stars, qualified as the best third place team behind the Czechs, an impressive Iceland, and ahead of the imploding Dutch national side, booking their place in the finals tournament with an 89th minute Selchuk Inan winner against Iceland. That stunning free kick rightly sparking hysteria in the Turkish ranks. Kazakhstan lead. The Netherlands trail. Turkey have a free kick. Coming up to 89 minutes. Thank <laughs> you.
appearing in major tournaments is a relatively recent phenomenon for Turkey. Founded in 1923, the nation sent multiple squads to the Olympics, but first qualified for a major tournament in 1954 via the virtue of a coin toss after drawing a three-legged qualifier against Spain. At that tournament, the mighty West Germany disposed of the Turks in round one with a 7-2 scoreline. Turkey continued to compete in Olympic football until qualification was introduced in the 60s, and from then up until the mid-1990s the team enjoyed a couple of near misses, but was for the most part left in the footballing wilderness. In the 90s, three people turned the hopes of the 80 million strong nation around. First, German coach Sepp Piontek took the helm to introduce defensive tactics largely focused on flooding the midfield. He was succeeded by Fatih Terim, who inherited a talented group of players spearheaded by the world-class Hakan Sukur up front. Qualification for Euro 96 in England followed, and since then, the Turks have reached the finals at roughly every other attempt, reaching the semi-finals at the World Cup in 2002, the Confederations Cup in 2003, and the European Cup in 2008, picking up bronze twice and scoring the fastest goal in World Cup history. So, Deju is ready for an emotional farewell to the Korean team, who play in this third-place playoff. Hong Myung-bo is in trouble here, it's Hakan Shuka! It's one of the early World Cup goals of all time! 11 seconds in, Hakan Shuka scores his first goal of these championships! Tarim, a 50-cap sweeper for Turkey during his playing days, returned to manage the national side for a third time in 2013, taking a relatively unfancied bunch of players and once again instilling his level of discipline. Tarim has an impressive honours list that includes six Turkish league titles, two Turkish Cups, four Turkish Super Cups and a UEFA Cup. His famous Galatasaray teams were built from the same mould as the national side, uncompromising, intimidating, defensively solid, as comfortable in possession as they are out of it. That style is a very good fit for the current crop of Turkish nationals, who rely almost exclusively on Burak Yilmaz in attack, playing long balls and diagonals to the Beijing Guan striker. He has 21 goals for his country, playing as a traditional target man, and he is their primary threat. Inan from set pieces and the tenacious Barcelona midfielder Arda Turan are also very dangerous. But the finals in France and the preceding qualifications show us that Turkey are a team that can be punished. Turkey are one of the few teams in Group I where the Hulkayat can afford to be more adventurous. They're limited in wide areas, and while they're strong in defence, they're not particularly quick and are prone to lashing out and overcommitting in the tackle. If either Jonas Toivio or Paulus Arayuri can sit on the physical threat of Yilmaz, we can commit fullbacks forward and move the fight into the Turkish half. Think Kaspar Hamelainen's goal against Belgium. The Turks can be exploited in the same way, as long as Bakke and Co can ride out the storm. Finland have met Turkey 13 times in their history, winning 7, drawing 3 and losing 3. The last encounter in 2012 ended 3-2 thanks to a thunderbolt from Roman Yarmenko and a 90th minute winner from Perpa Heitemai. <laughs> Kohti 
näin Suomi siirtyy 3-2 johtoon, kun lisäaikaa pelataan ja kyllä tätä Turkki oli kerjännyt suorastaan. The Turks should be finishing this group at least second, but their biggest strengths, the physicality, defensive organization and the combative nature can easily be turned into weaknesses should their opponents set out to frustrate. Turkey are difficult on and off the pitch, so if you're planning to travel there, make sure you stay in groups and keep your head about you. If Hans Bakker can do the same, the Hukayat might just take points. This is Mark from the Finnish Football Show telling you there is hope.